Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. So you work hard for your money. You pay your taxes. Nobody's doing you any special favors to make ends meet. And then you hear almost every day about some big company getting a handout from the government, cheap land to build on maybe, or some sort of huge tax break or just cash handed over, like General Motors getting benefits worth $3.5 billion, Intel getting $3.8 billion, Nike $2 billion. These are spread across many years, of course, but what is your reaction to this? Is it outrage? Where's my handout? Or could you be persuaded that giving these or other companies special treatment sometimes, maybe often, is actually good for innovation and for all of us? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Eliminate corporate subsidies. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience here in New York votes to choose the winner. And only one side wins. The motion, eliminate corporate subsidies. Two debaters arguing for the motion, starting first with Jack Abramoff. Jack Abramoff, you were once one of the most powerful lobbyists in Washington. Your career as a lobbyist ended in a national corruption scandal. Eventually, you went to federal prison for that. And somewhere during that period, you changed sides. And you wrote a book about your rise and fall. It is called Capital Punishment. And since then, you've been working with groups to reform our political system. Is that Herculean task even possible? Well, it's possible. It's just extremely difficult because Washington's about grabbing power and grabbing money and grabbing things. And people who grab things don't like to give them up, as we'll probably discuss a little bit later tonight. So it's possible, but it's pretty tough. Okay, Jack, and who is your partner in this debate? My partner is the formidable Zephyr Teachout. Zephyr Teachout, hi. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. Hi. So, Zephyr Teachout, you are author of the book Corruption in America. You're an associate professor at Fordham Law School. You famously ran for office in 2014, challenging the governor of New York in a primary. You did not win, but you got a third of the vote as a relative unknown, surprising everybody. And now you're running for Congress. So what are you concluding um, after this experience? Can you win in politics and stay clean at the same time? It's really really, really hard, and I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. We have two debaters arguing against the motion. I first want to bring it to Kate Gordon. Kate, welcome to Intelligence Squared. Thank you, John. So, Kate, you are vice chair of climate and sustainable urbanization at the Paulson Institute. You are the former vice president for energy and environment at the Center for American Progress. You have devoted your entire career to studying energy and climate change policy. It all started with cows. Not the animal, but the think tank. Center on Wisconsin Strategy, COWS, cows. What sparked your interest in the field? (laughs) 
Well, you know, uh, John, I was very car sick as a kid. And so getting out of cars and getting everyone else out of cars is a lifelong challenge for me. (laughs) But uh, at Cows, I got to work on turning manure into energy. And I mean, who wouldn't want to do that for a living? Yes. Yeah. I wonder (laughs) if we're going to have some of that happening tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your partner, please, Kate Gordon? Uh, My partner is the wise and worldly Mike Lynn. (laughs) Mike Lynn, welcome to your second Intelligence Square debate. Um, Michael, you are uh, at the, you're a co-founder of New America and policy director of its economic growth program. You've written a lot of books, including Land of Promise and Economic History of the United States. Uh, that emphasizes a Hamiltonian style of governance. And for those of us who need to brush up on our history, what is Hamiltonianism? Well, in addition to uh, having his own Broadway show, Alexander Hamilton, uh, the first uh, Treasury Secretary of the United States, founded a tradition of constructive business and government collaboration uh, to further economic growth. Okay. Our team arguing against the motion. (laughs) On to round one. The motion is this, eliminate corporate subsidies. And speaking first, in support of the motion, former lobbyist and host of the television program, Our Nation, ladies and gentlemen, Jack Abramoff. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. I have to tell you, if somebody told me 10 years ago that I'd be standing on stage in Manhattan, partnered with a progressive liberal democratic congressional candidate, arguing against corporate subsidies. (laughs) I would have thought that as likely as seeing Donald Trump within 500 delegates of being nominated by the Republican Party. So it's an odd evening in some ways for me. Zephyr, of course, is from the left. I'm from the right. And yet we both offer a consensus that something's out of control in Washington. Now, we could actually have a debate tonight of what does it mean to be a subsidy. Some of the things that I would support, constitutional expenditures of the government, some others would look at as subsidies. Other things that Zephyr might support, I might look at as a subsidy. So finding out what is a subsidy is very difficult. And most of the discussion of subsidies really needs to center on the vast amount of money that is purveyed to corporations and to others in this country, and we sort of know it when we see it. I'm going to argue tonight that we can't afford subsidies. We can't afford them economically, we can't afford them ethically, and we cannot afford them socially and politically any longer. Sure, it would be great if we had unlimited money in our country and we can give away anything to anybody who wants anything. That would be wonderful, but we don't live in that world. We live in a world of $20 trillion debt. The fact that the Congress is appropriating and the administration is giving out $100 billion a year plus to corporate subsidies and $100 billion a year plus to tax breaks for corporations, that is a big chunk of the annual deficit that we run. But we have a constitution, and one of the things the constitution does is limit the scope of our federal government. Well, people in Washington, and these are people, Republicans and Democrats, don't really care about that. And as a consequence, lots of money flows out. And we shouldn't mistake the fact that when there's one dollar available, there's at least ten lobbyists who are chasing that dollar. I know this very well, and I may know it better than anyone in the room because I was one of those lobbyists. It has bred, the subsidy culture has bred a culture of corruption in Washington where the special interests have tilted the playing field in a way that Americans are very sick of this. I think anyone who looks fairly at what's been going on politically in our country has noticed something, that there's a rebellion out there. 
whether it's the Bernie Sanders on the left or it's the Donald Trump, wherever he is on the right, or uh, Ted Cruz, people are dissatisfied. Congress's ratings are so bad that people would actually rather have a colonoscopy than be in favor of Congress. Replacement referees in the National Football League are more popular than congressmen. And a lot of it has to do, unfortunately, with the fact we have uh, a culture in Washington about taking our money and giving it out to those who can lobby the best. And even good ideas, altruistic ideas, things that people say, well, the government should be involved in. The truth is, unfortunately, we now live in a culture where companies go first to the government to get their advantage, and that's our money. And while, again, I wouldn't eliminate everything, and certainly there are good things the government is doing that they need to be doing, and I'm not an anarchist, the culture itself is pervasive and unfortunately is corrosive, and it needs to stop. So I hope you will support us with the resolution to eliminate corporate subsidies. Thank you. Thank you, Jack Abramoff. And that's the motion, eliminate corporate subsidies. And our next debater will be speaking against the motion. I'd like to welcome to the lectern Michael Lind. He is policy director of the Economic Growth Program at New America and author of Land of Promise and Economic History of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Lind. Bonus depreciation for horses. If you own a racehorse in the United States, you can treat it as a depreciating asset over a three-year period. Uh, That's insane. It's corrupt. It's nuts. So now you're thinking, didn't he get the memo? He's supposed to be arguing against this uh, corporate subsidies, you know, uh, uh, eliminate corporate subsidies. Well, uh, my partner, Kate Gordon, and I, uh, we are not arguing in favor of every stupid, insane, corrupt, criminal subsidy by the federal, state, or local governments. Our thesis is there are two kinds of uh, corporate subsidies, good and bad. You know, well, what are the good ones? What's a good, why would you ever give money directly or indirectly to a corporation? Well, there are basically three tests in my view. Uh, The first is, would the company or the industry do this on its own anyway? If it would, then the taxpayer is being swindled. Uh, The second test is, Can this public objective, and it could be climate change mitigation, it could be helping poor people uh, afford heating in the winter, could this be more efficiently pursued by other means? Uh, For example, could the government do it directly itself? Our our government, we have a mixed economy, right? We have a public K-12 system. So, you know, you can do things directly through government agencies. Uh, However, much of our productive sector, which is really crucial Uh, is in in private ownership and is driven by the profit motive. So unless we're going to nationalize the factories and and the oil wells and the solar power plants and so on, then the government has to use other methods than direct government provision. And then the final uh, uh, test of this three-part test is, do the benefits outweigh the cost? Because if you're paying more than you're getting in benefits, it's a waste of time. Now, all of this is very abstract, so I'll give you a specific example. After 9-11, there's great concern among the public, reflected in our elected representatives, about the safety of transportation. Uh, And intercity bus transportation, which has grown in importance between New York and Washington, for example, in the last decade, was was a source of concern. Uh, so the Department of Homeland Security has an intercity bus grant program. 
It, and this is a corporate subsidy in the purest form. It's the government writes checks to particular motor coach companies to help them uh, comply with these uh, federal uh, security guidelines. To my mind, you know, this, this fits all of the tests. Do, would the buses have been doing these additional security measures otherwise? No, we know that because they weren't doing it. Uh, could it be done otherwise? No, unless we're going to nationalize intercity buses. We don't have a federal intercity bus monopoly. It's a private uh, industry. Uh, and is the cost worth the benefits? Like, well, you know, we've seen buses attacked. So uh, if the bonus horse depreciation is an example of a bad subsidy, I would argue the intercity bus uh, security grants, you know, this is one that makes sense. Uh, and so we just have to be very careful. Our opponents will persuade you that all corporate subsidies are a big uh, pile of horse manure, and it's our task to persuade you to vote against the motion on the theory that when shoveling out the manure, you don't want to mistakenly throw out any ponies that may be buried somewhere inside. Thank you, Michael Lynn. I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. Building a website can be tough, and even if you do know your way around coding, creating something that looks good and works well is a time-consuming affair. Whether it's for a business site, a portfolio, a restaurant, or whatever else, in this day and age, you probably need one anyway. Well, lucky for us, Squarespace makes it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Squarespace provides simple, powerful, and beautiful websites that look professionally designed regardless of skill level. No coding required. Not only does Squarespace provide you with intuitive and easy-to-use tools to create your website with, Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. And you know you can trust in Squarespace for your website needs when millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world trust in them too. Seriously, you can't beat the ease and simplicity of Squarespace. Squarespace gives you 24-7 online support and a beautiful website. So what are you waiting for? Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code Intelligence Squared to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Intelligence Squared U.S. debates. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, eliminate corporate subsidies. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. At the lectern is Zephyr Teachout. She's going to argue for the motion. She's associate law professor at Fordham Law School and author of Corruption in America, from Benjamin Franklin's Snuffbox to Citizens United. Ladies and gentlemen, Zephyr Teachout. Like Michael Lind, I believe that the government has a role in shaping policy. Should we be moving towards renewable energy or should we be moving towards fossil fuel? Do we want to have universal high-speed broadband? Yes. (sighs) These are serious questions that I think collectively people should come together and answer. However, I think the best way for government to intervene in most circumstances is by setting rules that create the opportunity for those renewable energy industries for that cable to develop. So when you have a subsidy, it's probably because you have bad rules. We should have better rules and less cash handouts. That's my general view. Second, I want to talk about small businesses. And I, 
um, you know, I really see, along with big industry, small businesses, family farms as being fundamental to some of the best parts of a truly thriving economy. It's where innovation happens. It's where community happens. It's where new things are built. It's where we find the next, next thing. Well, we've had a 25-year collapse in the small business economy in this country. They can't survive. I talked to a woman the other day who's shutting down her diner who said to me, don't forget the mamas and the papas. The mamas and the papas aren't getting the cash handout. She said, I, I started my diner to get a, so people could get a cup of coffee near uh, Amenia, and right now all the big guys, she said, are coming in and they've got the cash and they've got the handouts and if we keep going this way, everything's gonna look the same and we can't compete. Now, she's right. She's right on the facts, because guess who gets corporate subsidies? It's not the Metro Diner. In fact, 75% of all corporate subsidies, 75% are going to less than 1,000 companies. So it's a handful of big monopolists who are using their lobbying power to go in and get those subsidies, and the small companies and the small family farms are getting shut out. So what does this do to who we are? I think this is so important. I want to live in an economy where the farmer in Cooperstown wakes up in the morning and thinks, how do I get a ground source heat pump in so I can compete better? Not, what joke can I tell the congressman so he'll laugh so I can get some cash? Our corporate subsidy model as a way to do federal policy is turning us as citizens, as business owners, um, as, as uh, members of our communities into beggars, into sycophants, into people asking for favors instead of innovating. What I'm really concerned about is not the examples on the margins, but that as a whole, the way we are making, even good people with good ideas are choosing to make federal policy, is they're saying, if we give out enough cash, we can change policy, and that is turning us into a culture which supports bootlicking and uh, flattery. So I urge you in this vote, for those of you who are uncertain, for those of you who might find little examples that make you question, to say this is actually a core question about who we are, about democracy, about corruption, and about our future, and to vote for the resolution. Thank you. Thank you, Zephyr Teachout. And that resolution again, eliminate corporate subsidies. And here is our final debater speaking against the motion, Kate Gordon. She is Vice Chair of Climate and Sustainable Urbanization at the Paulson Institute and non-resident fellow at the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University. Ladies and gentlemen, Kate Gordon. So I feel a little bit like we're at a celebrity boxing match and we have the, you know, the comeback kid over here, Jack Abramoff, and the, the, the new kid star is ever teach out. And, and Mike and I are sort of the underdogs, but... Uh, but the thing about those, those movies is that the underdogs always win. And, um, and there's a reason that we will win tonight, which is that we are not absolutists. As Mike said, we concede there are bad subsidies that should end today. We concede that government should be fully in charge of certain things. Absolutely, regulation can be very important. But most things fall in that 
middle ground. Most of you probably fall in that middle ground and where you think there should be some well-regulated government intervention when it's necessary for a public purpose. So let's talk about why we do subsidy. Uh, We've been doing it a long time. This is not new in American history. There's three big reasons that subsidies tend to happen. The first is promoting new technologies that the private sector can't get its head around. They're too risky. They're too new. We see a lot of that in subsidy through history. Uh, Paying the difference between the value of an activity to the private sector and the value to the public sector, big reason we do subsidy. And then finally, in times of crisis, the New Deal, of course, is a time when we did a lot of subsidizing. One of the big areas, and it's not on the margins, as as Zephyr said, but really central, where we subsidize and have historically subsidized is energy. We subsidize the transition from wood to coal. We subsidize the transition from coal to oil. Today, we are looking at subsidizing a transition, I hope, away from oil and towards something different. To me, the big you know, gorilla in the room on this is climate change. Climate change meets all of the categories that we have traditionally used when thinking about whether subsidies serve a public purpose. It is risky uh, in the long term. It will create enormous economic risk if we don't deal with it, but there's not a lot of upside to dealing with it today if you're in the private sector. It involves new emerging technologies that aren't yet on the market, but that we need, and we need them quickly And if we don't take action today, and this is to Jack's point, if we don't act on climate change today, you don't want government in your lives, just wait. We don't act on climate change today, we are going to see FEMA taking over towns to save them from sea level rise. So climate change to me meets all of the categories of sort of what makes makes a subsidy good. And, you know, to Zephyr's point, I 100% agree. I would rather see regulation. I would rather see a price on carbon. However, we keep not being able to do that politically. In the interim, we need to be incentivizing people to build these technologies to solve this problem. That is where subsidies come in. So just some good examples. Subsidies for solar. Back in the 1970s, NASA creates the solar panel and puts a lot of money into it, loses a whole bunch of money. Uh, private sector starts to get involved. The Recovery Act puts a lot of money into solar development. We now see solar 10 times cheaper than it was in 2000. It is now competitive with coal, which is on the decline. So again, I would just say, you can't say this is on the margins. You can't say this is a semantic issue. This is an area where we need some government intervention. We would argue that you should vote against the motion because you eliminate corporate subsidies. These are the kinds of programs you're eliminating. Thank you. Thank you, Kate Gordon. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. Now we move on to round two. And in round two, the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and from you in our live audience here in New York. The motion is this, eliminate corporate subsidies. And we've heard Jack Abramoff and Zephyr Teachout arguing in support of the motion, describing what they basically call as a crisis brought about by the atmosphere of corruption and unfairness that surrounds the practice of the handing out of subsidies. They are not against all subsidies. They say there are rare exceptions but it's a sort of last resort use. And then even then, the programs are likely to be swallowed up again by corruption, by unfairness, by distortion of the marketplace. The team arguing against the motion, Kate Gordon and Michael Lind, they are also not taking an absolutist point of view. They don't defend every single subsidy, but they make the argument that subsidies kickstart special 
key industries where a public objective can be agreed upon by society, but whose market needs are not being met by the private sector. They talk particularly about the energy sector in an era where there's a need to solve the problems of climate change, and they're saying that that's a perfect example. I want to go to the team that's arguing against uh, Zephyr and Jack, because Jack makes the point that the, the tendency for any subsidy program, for the game, ultimately to sort of end up in the sewer is inevitable. It's inextricable from the process, given that corporations spend millions and millions of dollars lobbying to protect their, their subsidies or their advantages. And you can sort of see the argument they're making. So I'd like to hear your response to the sort of the inevitability question. Michael Lind. During the Civil War, the Transcontinental Railroad was subsidized many times the cost of its construction. Much of the membership of the U.S. Congress received kickbacks from the robber barons. Uh, it's estimated that $23 million in, in 1860s money went, was wasted in corruption. Within six months after the Transcontinental Railroad was opened, that money was earned back by the lower cost of uh, lower freight. Now, I understand Zephyr's concern about the moral fabric of the republic, uh, but what if the motive of most uh, of the members of Congress who voted for the Transcontinental Railroad uh, was to get kickbacks from Leland Stanford? Uh, it's still a good program. It was an enormous benefit to the country. Right. So you're saying, it might, if you, uh, of course, you're not making a pro-corruption argument. No, it's not pro. We get that. <laughs> but, you, but you are saying that a little corruption on the margins might be a, wor- a price worth paying for the benefit. That's fair. I believe. Okay. Let's take it to Jack Abramoff to respond. Look, I, I uh, was in the belly of the beast, uh, involved in the business, and saw every one of these efforts uh, going on. And I got to tell you, a little corruption is not acceptable because there is no little corruption. As soon as corruption starts, everyone starts to become corrupt. And today, uh, we have programs, virtually every program is immediately set upon by 30,000 lobbyists. Even in those days, I don't think there were 30,000 lobbyists. But the issue of corruption is very serious because the um, uh, subsidies are the starting gun of the race of corruption in Washington. But Jack, to Michael's point that all right, he grants all of that. He doesn't like that or support it, but he says that nevertheless the system still produced the railroad and, and subsidies still produce public goods. Well, I mean, we also have a very different economy and different, very different world. We have a world today when people such as Google and uh, uh, forget his name now, the fellow who does the private air travel to the, into space, SpaceX. Okay? We aren't living in a world where the government is the only entity that can do things. We have many, many very powerful companies that on their own, without government incentives other than what their lobbyists can get them, can successfully okay. let's look, uh, uh, process. Let's look Kate Gordon things. into the conversation. Look, I would argue uh, corruption is most endemic when government is weak. So we actually had a fairly corrupt government in the 19th century. We had a system here and in, Europe, and in England where people were paid according to how well they collected fees and taxes. We changed that. We both imposed a civil service that, had, that is educated, that is merit-based generally. And when you have a strong and merit-based and decent civil service making some of these decisions, I think you can actually avoid some of the corruption. And I would say, you're, you know, in some ways we might be talking about two different things. You're talking mostly, Jack, about Congress making decisions – I'm talking in the examples I gave mostly about the agencies making decisions. And I do think that if you have a strong system, you can avoid a fair amount of the corruption. And again, we would argue, let's address the corruption. Let's not throw okay. out the subsidies. Zephyr Teachout. 
with enormous respect, we are in terrible shape in terms of the corruption in this country right now. We are in terrible shape in Congress, where uh, members of Congress are spending their time raising money from people who want corporate subsidies. That is a major part of the job description of being in Congress right now. And we have a huge corruption problem with capture of the federal agencies. And that corruption problem is softer. It's not as explicit as the congressional one. But the revolving door right now with, for instance, FERC, um, is extraordinary. There's a real danger in saying, yeah, there's always a problem. Some good things have happened. We actually, it's a time for pretty serious structural reform. Michael, can, can I respond Michael, to that? Please do. Yeah, well, no, I, no, I understand the argument. The argument is that if you remove the incentives for political corruption, then you reduce or remove the corruption. The mechanism of corruption is campaign finance. Why not just address it directly, right? Uh, no, we might live to see it. Is it, not the, is it not possible that without being bribed, some of these austere, ascetic members of Congress might decide it actually makes sense, you know, to subsidize, you know, uh, SpaceX? By the way, just one data point, it is entirely subsidized by the government. Well, first of all, the corruption in Washington is, does not end with campaign finance. Uh, giving political contributions is but one method that lobbyists use and special interests use to getting good with members of Congress. If you have money, special interests, whether they are people who used to work in Congress or not, smell money, and they come for money. And that is just human nature. And, it's and, great and you're saying it, it cannot world. be regulated away. I mean, your opponents are suggesting it, it can be How do you addressed. regulate away human nature? Okay? okay, how do you get rid of human nature? Kate Gordon. We, uh, campaign finance reform, absolutely. But also, to your point, Jack, also the subsidies themselves, we would favor greater transparency, public disclosure, accountability for these subsidies, clawbacks where the companies don't provide the, the, the benefits that they promise. Absolutely. These are all ways of holding accountable those transactions. But I think we would still argue that you can't, there are some public interest issues where you can't wait for regulation, and I, I got to come back to climate change as my thing, but it's also a great example because it's so political that there isn't movement on it on the regulation side or on the congressional legislation side. A lot of those deals that are being made right now are being made literally to try to stem the tide in that interim period. So, so I have I have a question for you. Am I allowed to do this, or is, are we not that that? Let's oh. see how let's see how good a question it is. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I, this is a serious question for Kate. Right now, today. If you can eliminate all fossil fuel subsidies and eliminate all corporate subsidies, do you not believe that the radical elimination of those billions of dollars in fossil fuel subsidies would do more than, than adding on to an already corrupt and problematic system? No. If we eliminated them all, would it be a magically open playing field and would everybody rush to renewables? You know, what they would do is what they're doing now, which is they would rush to renewable development in other countries because those other countries are heavily subsidizing renewable energy development. So then... <laughs> Do we want U.S. jobs? Do we want U.S. manufacturing? Do we want to bring some of that competition home? Yes. 
Well, the last time I checked, it was our economy that's generally leading the world, and it's our economy that has been leading the world for a long time because we are an innovative economy, and we're not an economy where the government is not merely a coach, but it seems a player and the owner of the team, uh, which is what goes on, unfortunately, in too many foreign countries. I'm not saying everything that is done overseas is wrong. Certainly not. I'm not saying everything that's done over here is right. However, I do believe that the wisdom of the founders uh, certainly uh, has to be considered and that the constraints of the federal government versus, by the way, the other government entities. We didn't even talk tonight about the $60 billion in state subsidies. One of the arguments we're making is the elimination of the federal involvement in these things, and I think that has to be considered. By by studying the founding fathers, are you saying that subsidies are unconstitutional? A certain subsidies, I think, are beyond the Constitution, yes. I think when the government is involved in activities that are extra-constitutional and they are subsidizing companies as a consequence of their lobbyists, folks, this goes on. These meetings happen where lobbyists who are very persuasive go into congressional offices and convince congressmen who may not be Phi Beta Kappa candidates uh, that, uh, that these things are constitutional, these are good, these are right, and they walk away with a big check out of our wallets. And this is going on constantly. Let's talk talk about the founders. Uh, Alexander Hamilton wrote most of the Federalist Papers. He knew something about the Constitution. He wrote the report on manufacturers. He said that the federal government should subsidize a list of strategic industries through tariffs and bounties. His word for subsidies. He said bounties were preferable to terrorists because they're more efficient. Let's, you know, the, the founding fathers were not Ayn Rand. This is not, you know... This is nothing new. It may new. look like Iron This Ram, is nothing they, new. I'm John Donvan. Questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. What makes Harry's so special? Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. German-engineered, five-blade cartridges, close, comfortable shave, no cuts or burns. Quality guaranteed. Full refund if you're not happy. Factory direct prices, cut out the middleman, ships right to your door. Sell their blades at half the price of the leading brand. Over one million guys have already made the switch, and thousands more will switch every day. Why pay $32 for an eight-pack of blades when you can get them for half the price at harrys.com? The Harry's Starter Set is an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Harry's doesn't like to discount because their prices are already really low, but we've worked out a special offer for you. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code INTELLIGENCE. Stop overpaying for a great shave. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code INTELLIGENCE at the checkout. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out for your vote. Sir. The team against the, um, Ben, the team against the motion had um, made the point that there's a difference between the value of a good to the public and to the private sector and that you could subsidize that difference. My question is, although I think anyone would agree that that's academically possible, is the government competent and capable of identifying what to subsidize and how much to subsidize it? Thank you. All right. That sounds like more of a challenge to the side arguing against the motion. So let's take it to Kate Gordon. 
in general, you know, in the area that I know the most about, the as I said, the default rates on this stuff are pretty good. The government has a pretty good track record of choosing which uh, energy subsidies to put money in in the renewable space. And in fact, the program in the federal government with the highest default rates by far that is a subsidy is the student debt program. And by the way, that is run by private companies, not by the federal government. So I do think that it's, it's worth taking a real look at each of the programs. Obviously, they differ agency to agency. But yes, again, I, I just don't accept the proposition that government is inherently corrupt and inefficient. As a matter of course, we see other countries manage their governments to be fairly uncorrupt and, and efficient. Germany's government plays a large role in its private sector. There's a partnership there. I think we have to to have the hope and the ambition for our government to be able to make these decisions and make them well. Zephyr Teachout. Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, thank you for the question. And I obviously do not think that government is inherently corrupt. I have spent my life fighting for uh, the real possibility of democracy. But your question goes to something else, which is competence. And I think that there's a particular area, which is choosing between companies is actually the, the, the worst area of government competence. That figuring out, do we care about geothermal or wind? That's an area where I actually think that there's a lot of competence. But picking and choosing between companies, which is inevitable when you're at the, at the beating heart of corporate subsidies, is actually the low point of where, um, where government employees should be engaged. Okay. And it's coming down the right-hand side. Thanks. Uh, hi, I'm Phil. Uh, my question is for those against the motion. Um, what is the optimal return on corruption that we should expect <laughs> to see? <laughs> that may be about the most perfect question ever asked in one of our debates. <laughs> well, look, uh, the United States, uh, when, as ranked by the World Economic Organization, is one of the least corrupt nations on the planet, which shows you how corrupt many other nations on the planet are. But the fact is, the United States is a relatively high-trust society. I was born into a segregated state, Texas, uh, where every Republican vote was thrown out by the local Democratic precinct machine until the 1970s. You know, I know people who, in New York City in the 1960s, went around with suitcases of walking around money. Now, you can claim that the corruption has changed its form now, but can you really argue that we're much more corrupt than we were in the past? Zephyr? Um, yeah, I actually think there's moments of high corruption, moments of, of low corruption in American history. The Gilded Age was a moment of fairly high corruption, and I think this is a moment of fairly high corruption. Um, and I think the extreme uh, inequality and poverty that we have right now and struggle for good jobs is a function of that high corruption. And I think that people are, I, I guess my most deep... Um, the most deeply held political belief, perhaps, is that, that people are really smart and uh, are worthy of having their voices heard. And the, even though I don't agree with all the expressions of anger in the political process right now, I think that anger is legitimate because of the level of corruption in Washington. Okay. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. And it's coming down the right-hand side. If you could stand up. Um, so it seems to be that there, there's, it's not a semantical difference. It's, it's a very valuable difference between technology-based subsidies versus 
competition-based subsidies. So could the against side argue what's the line between something towards an emerging technology versus something that's just solely competitively based um, that, to that allocation to the company? Thank you. Michael Lind. Well, I, I think what you're referring to is where individual firms have to compete for grants and fill out forms and, and all of this uh, in order to and, qualify. And she said bootlick in her opening statement and, and, well, and laugh at bad jokes. I won't use this colorful language, but uh, uh, become lick spittles, as it were. Uh, but, you know, but there's, there's a reason why they have to jump through all of those hoops. That's because the taxpayers are of two minds, right? You want to promote this, but you want to make sure this is really a small business. It's not a front from Panama or something. That, so, you, so there's a reason why we have these, these bureaucratic procedures. But if you go to Federal Grants Wire online and you look this up, uh, the vast majority of these grants are fairly small. I mean, I don't think they're large enough to corrupt you particularly. You know, uh, uh, you know they're mostly directed to small business. And a lot of it, it's seemingly reasonable things. A, a, a huge chunk of it has to do with the medical industry. Uh, you know, some of the other stuff, like the Small Business Innovation Research Program, uh, has to do with actually leveling the playing field between big companies and small companies by helping small companies do uh, R&D, which big companies can do out of their own earnings. So, but you so, know, there, there, there's something to the individual grants as well as the general regulations and general policies. Seth, weren't you arguing in your opening, though, that small businesses are being crushed by the, by the subsidy culture? Absolutely. The exception doesn't make the rule that um, most small businesses are, are not getting an advantage. Even if they are getting a subsidy, they're getting a subsidy that is less than that of their large business counterpart. You get a lot of lip service towards policies that favor small businesses. In fact, the corporate subsidy culture is really, really part of the, of the reason why it's falling apart. Down frontier. Um, in a globalized comp- economy, are corp- corporate subsidies necessary to compete internationally? I would argue yes, uh, particularly if you look at the world's largest manufacturing country, uh, which has now surpassed the U.S. So in size of an economy and also in leading a manufacturing, is China. Most of China's major manufacturings are SOEs, state-owned enterprises. Uh, in addition to that, there's the Chinese policy banks, which will just shovel money at low interest rates uh, to their producers. Now, if we had a free market economy, we could relax about this. But in a globalized economy in which the world's largest industrial country routinely rigs things for its own producers, either we get out of those fields of industry and simply allow them to choose the content of our economy, or we retaliate. You fight fire by fire. Or just real quickly, if you don't like China, Germany provides a a significant amount of worker training and retraining and a significant amount of of education, public education, and indirect subsidy to its businesses. It does that in collaboration with industry. That's a competitive advantage that Germany has in manufacturing. Check April. Well, I I don't like China, and I'd like to get back to China. I mean, we'll deal with Germany later. It's like a risk game here. But... um, (laughs) 
the, the China example is particularly interesting vis-a-vis corruption, because if you notice what's in the daily headlines, which is executions of various people who are corrupt, then in fact the money that's flowing out of China is generally the middle management of a lot of these companies that are subsidized by the government. And I happen to unfortunately be very familiar with the process over there. It is unbelievably corrupt. And in fact, if we're going to head toward that kind of model, we're going to be in as much trouble economically ultimately as no, China no, would I'm be not as well. The model. I'm saying we have to take our own precautions against it. Another question? My name is Shana. Jack, in your first affirmative, you mentioned that we can't afford these subsidies. So I was just wondering if the side against could elaborate on why they think we can still afford it, even with this trillion dollar debt. Before we do that, can we have Jack just really 15 seconds? What do you mean by we can't afford? Just reiterate so that we know what your opponent well, I thought it was pretty clear. We're $20 trillion in debt. Uh, we have to start getting control of the expenditure of our government. The problem is there are lots of little good ideas that people go at first resort now to the federal government to say, let's spend the money on this because this is a great idea instead of looking at other places that might do it. The problem is all of that adds up to a crisis, which is what we're faced with. Right? Your opponents, then, Michael Lind. Go to the Office of Management and Budget website. You will find that the U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio is flat. Between now and 2040, the government, Jack to the contrary, is not growing out of control. And what's more, if you look at discretionary non-defense spending, which is only 16 percent anyway, most of the federal spending is Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid in the Pentagon, that is scheduled as a result of the sequester and various reforms to be lower in the 2020s than it is now. Thank you very much for your question. We are now going to do a small round that we refer to as the volley round. And in the volley round, one very specific and narrow question is put to the debaters. They have two minutes to answer the question in four 30-second chunks with a clock timing them. And when their 30 seconds run out, a bell rings that sounds like this. That means they have to stop talking, and it goes to the other side. And the order in which we're going to do this, we're going to go first Zephyr Teachout, then Michael Lind, then Jack Abramoff, and then Kate Gordon. The question being put to each side over the next two minutes in 30-second chunks is this. Should the government even be in the business of picking individual companies or industries to be winners, leaving the rest unfavored? We're going to give the first 30 seconds to Zephyr Teachout starting now. No. You don't have to use the rest of your time. Let's take the question to Michael Lynn. Should the government be involved in the business of picking businesses to be winners? Yes. (laughs) I I don't get the chance to ring my bell. Jack Abramoff. I agree with Zephyr. (laughs) Kate Gordon. Yes, and uh, yes, I mean, if picked well, if they're good, if it's a strong government, we have experts in these jobs who don't have to deal with quarterly reports, who don't have to deal with profit margins, who aren't having boards breathe down their necks about making bets that are cheap and easy today. They can look at the long game. There's a short-term problem in the private sector. We need people looking at the long game. Absolutely, if, they are, if they're good and they're smart and we have regulation on them to stop corruption, yes. You're out of time. <laughs> and that concludes 
That concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. Now we move on to round three, and in round three, the debaters will make closing statements one at a time, uninterrupted. Here to summarize her position supporting the motion to eliminate corporate subsidies, Zephyr Teachout, associate professor at Fordham Law and author of the book Corruption in America. I'm a a Langston Hughes patriot. Langston Hughes has this wonderful poem about America where he says, let America be America again. Let it be the dream the dreamers dreamed. And in this long, beautiful poem, when he, what he describes as the best part of America, which is really what I deeply care about, is this vision where nobody is a, a, a beggar, even if they're poorer. Nobody is a servant of the other in a fundamental political sense. And we escape what he calls the rot and ruin of our gangster death. I think the deepest disagreement with, I will say in particular, Michael and me, is about where we see America right now. Because I think there have been moments of extraordinary flourishing in American history and moments of extraordinary corruption. And right now, I think we are in a moment where we have a deep, deep crisis of corruption. And part of the reason for that crisis of corruption is a handful of new political forces, they call themselves economic forces, but they're fundamentally political forces, a handful of big companies, Monsanto, J.P. Morgan, uh, Big Cable, are basically governing us. And one of the mechanisms through which they extract wealth from our extraordinary economy is through corporate subsidies and one of the ways in which they develop relationships with those with formal political powers is with corporate subsidies. So I urge you to vote for the motion. Thank you. Thank you, Zephyr Teachout. And that motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. And here to make his closing statement against the motion, Michael Lind, policy director of the Economic Growth Program at New America and author of Land of Promise. Medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States. Uh, Up to 440,000 Americans die each year from preventable medical errors. Uh, A lot of it because of the lag with doctor's offices using paper records. As part of the Stimulus Act in 2009, the federal government has spent to date more than $35 billion in incentives to individual doctors, hospitals, and other health care providers. What's the result? Uh, In 2009, physicians using electronic health records uh, were only 21.8%. Today, a few years later, they are 78%. The subsidy worked. In 2009, only 12.2% of non-federal acute care hospitals were using a basic computer electronic health record system. By 2014, after this $30 billion had been spent, more than 76% were. This is a tremendous unsung success of federal policy. Now, there are problems with interoperability, with monopolistic corporations engaged in so-called data blocking. So there are problems with it. Uh, But, you know, this sort of really brings it home. As a result of this particular highly successful federal subsidy, uh, your loved ones or your own life may be saved. And as long as there are a few programs like this uh, that are successes, uh, you need to vote against the motion. Thank you, Michael Lind. The motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. 
here making his closing statements supporting the motion, Jack Abramoff, former lobbyist and author of the book, Capital Punishment. We're having kind of two debates tonight. One is about theoretically what wouldn't it be great if we could do certain things with the government. And then practically what actually happens in Washington? What happens to our money? What happens in our process? Unfortunately, I walked into those rooms. I got to see as a very young man for the first time what that discussion is like when I went in at the very beginning seeking a tax advantage for a company that was trying to do something very good, something that meets all of the criteria that uh, we talk about tonight, and watched the political process at that very beginning when the congressman started asking for money and when the congressman talked about who had to give up their subsidy for them to get their tax subsidy, which was perfectly fine for the congressman. And I realized at that moment something's broken in the system. Shamefully for me, I didn't jump out the window and run away. I stayed there and watched it and participated in it. These are human beings making these decisions. And they're not, by the way, the most competent human beings. It will shock you to know. Unfortunately, they have immense power. Washington is about one thing, folks, and that's about power. Grabbing power, keeping power, grabbing money, spending money. Now, again, I think our side believes there are certainly things the government should be doing. But the system that has developed is so immensely corrupt, is so corrosive of what we all believe, what we were all raised to think about our government, that the American people are rising up, and we just need to join them. Vote for us. Thank you, Jack Abramoff. The motion, eliminate corporate subsidies, and here to summarize her position against this motion, Kate Gordon, Vice Chair of Climate and Sustainable Urbanization at the Paulson Institute. So I'm technically a lawyer, but I never got to do a jury argument, so this is my my chance. Um, And and let me just remind you of the proposition here, which is a three-word proposition, eliminate corporate subsidies. If you think that even one of the things that we have raised tonight on either side as a good example of a corporate subsidy, food stamps, low-income heating assistance, critical technology help for emerging technologies, Department of Defense contracts, any of the things that you've heard about that you think is good, you think one of those is good, you must vote against the motion. There's just no question. That's, that's the deal. It eliminates our corporate subsidies as the motion. You think even one thing we've mentioned is good, you must vote for us. Thanks. Thank you, Kate Gordon. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion is eliminate corporate subsidies. Recall that you voted before the debate, and again, after you heard all of the arguments, it's the team whose numbers move up the most in percentage point terms who will be declared our winner. Looking at the first vote, eliminate corporate subsidies. In that first vote, 34% were for the motion, 15% were against, 51% were undecided. That's a very high number for us. Those are the first results. Let's look at the second results. Let's look at the team arguing for the motion, eliminate corporate subsidies. Their first vote was 34%. Their second vote was 36%. They picked up two percentage points. Two percentage points is the number to beat. Let's look at the team arguing against the motion. The team arguing against their first vote was 15%. Their second vote was 53%. They picked up 38 percentage points. Our congratulations to the team arguing against the motion, eliminate corporate subsidies. They are our winners. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time.
This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Taylor Quimby and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the engineer. Clea Chang is chief marketing and digital officer. Chris Kamakawa is director of research. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Van Greenfield, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, and Daniel H. Stern. From Intelligence Squared U.S., Thank you.